Welcome to the Ellie Holbrook podcast, enlightened conversations about all things mindful, therapeutic, and good. Today on the podcast, we have my dear soul sister, Whitney Walker. Whitney, thank you for joining me. Of course, Ellie. This is such an honor and so exciting to be here. Yes, yes, such a pleasure. And Whitney and I did a podcast on her podcast, Women Waken, last, it it aired last summer sometime, right? Yeah, I think we recorded though around this time last year, maybe maybe mm-hmm. later, later, but definitely last year. Yeah, it was like late winter or early spring. I think that we had that um, conversation and then you're launching and how's that been going? It's been going wonderfully. Uh, it's been really nice. It's, you know, so I, I shared with you, I took a cross country road trip. Um, mm-hmm. I left in October and I just got back last month and I was able to keep going and I've been releasing episodes every week. So it's been nice to have that consistency and, and, you know, podcast is just such a great creative outlet. It's a fun little project. It's, it's great to connect when you're doing interview styles to connect with different amazing people. So I've loved it. Awesome. And what I've loved about podcasting, whether I've been a guest or a host is just, just that, that connection, um, the face to not, well, I guess, you know, we're over zoom, but kind of that face-to-face conversation that so many people are really like hungry for. And also having some conversation about things that we might not be talking about in our day to day. I think it's really refreshing to get kind of into the underbelly of, um, you know, the metaphysical or whatever we're looking at in life, which is what I'm really excited to talk to you about today. Yes. Absolutely. Especially in this time and age and climate, things are just so, I mean, there's just such great shifts happening underneath everything and it's uh, it's pretty wild time. So I think the, I know that for me, I can feel really lost and then I can connect with a piece of, you know, uh, some sort of output, like an audio or video or podcast, whatever it is. And I remember, I'm like, oh yes. Like I feel I have a lifeline, right? It's like, okay, yeah. I'm okay. Everything's okay. It's just, this is a part of, you know, all the changes. So yeah, like, like there's that center is what we're finding again. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So Whitney and I had met a couple years ago. Um, I think you had joined one of my workshops or we had done a call in maybe late 2019 and we're both colleagues. Whitney is a psychotherapist and she's taken her practice out of the traditional agency work and, um, you're now in private practice, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I started a private practice, um, at the end of August, uh, 2020, which is really exciting because I, I had started working at a friend's private practice beginning of 2020. And because I had, you know, a couple of people had said, they said, well, why don't you just start your own practice? And I was like, oh no, no, no. Like, I'm not going to deal with like getting a, you know, an office and all of that. And like marketing, it's too much. I couldn't like wrap my head around it. But then with the pandemic, I thought, well, if all I need is a computer and a table and a little bit of outreach, then maybe I can do it. So I did. And it's been wonderful. It's pretty exciting to be a business owner and to, you know, be managing your own business. And it's been doing really well. Um, I've had a full caseload for, you know, about a year now and that's, it's very exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. That's something that I feel really passionate about, you know, as, as you know, and lots of my listeners know, you know, I I own a group practice and I've been in private practice in some capacity since 2012. Um, and an owner of my own business since 2015. And it's something that I just can soapbox about all day in terms of like the shift that traditional, westernized mental health is like needing desperately. You know, I think there, there's a there's a place for agency work. There's a place for community health care. But there's definitely a need for practitioners to stay in the field 
but to influence the field from within. You know, I see a lot of different practitioners, whether they're psychologists or social workers or therapists at some level um, that are leaving the industry because there's a lot of frustration and I can identify with that. But I also think that remembering how much room there is to play and knowing those boundaries in which we can kind of cultivate some change from within, like pulling in our other practices and metaphysics and melding, you know, those different approaches to wellness is really what is needed in mental health. And I think um, the more that I see that and the more that I see women in particular branching out into self-employment and entrepreneurship within the field is really exciting to me. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. And you are an absolute inspiration. Mm, and, happen. and I remember we had this exact conversation, I believe when I was thinking about starting my business, because I remember coming to you and saying, you know, I, cause I, I sort of have a model where I do, cause I focus on addiction and eating disorders, substance abuse recovery. And I work as sort of a a sobriety and recovery coach and a spiritual guide and then a therapist. And I remember saying, you know, Ellie, I don't, maybe I don't need to be a therapist. Maybe I don't need to stay within the confines of the, you know, the established, you know, nature of therapy. Maybe I can go out and on a branch and you, you know, you really kind of gave a lot of wisdom and insight about just what you said, where it's, you know, you can still work within the structures and bring your own special you know, unique brand and style, you don't have to let that go. You can still keep that and work within. And it doesn't mean that, you know, at some point I might move on to different things, but for now it was the right thing for me because, you know, I've, I've found my client base this way and people have been able to find me. I've been able to help people where if I had totally jumped ship as far as my, you know, licensure as a therapist, you're not as accessible. It takes a while, right. To be known as more spiritual based healer, which you can do, but And I, you know, you work really hard for this as well. So it was really wonderful to hear that from you and to, you know, be guided that way. And so it's been really, really beneficial. So yeah, yeah. the success you've had is amazing. And to know that, you know, there's, there's, you can such great heights you can reach. So Mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah. And it's been such an honor to be a part of, like I always say, it's my team. I have an incredible team and other women like you that are doing something similar, branching out and melding the different practices. Like you said, you know, I think we do kind of hem and hob. Do we let that go? Because we're frankly kind of burnt out on the bureaucracy and we're, we're burnt out on um, what can feel very constricting in other settings. But I think when we get out from under that, we can realize like, well, there's a lot of fresh air to breathe here and a lot of room and freedom to get creative with our work and therefore be more effective. Because like you said, we magnetize our clients to us by our approach and our education, our training. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands of hours that go into that. It's not just a degree hanging on the wall or a license hanging on the wall. Of course, that's like, you know, the physical proof, right. Of like what we've, what we've done in our training. Um, but there's, there's so much expertise that we, we have accrued through that training. And I, I think, um, and not that, not that we let that go if we let our licensure go, but I think we, we get to utilize it a little bit more, you know, in, in, in a certain capacity that still feels like really in alignment to our value system. So well done. Um, you mentioned that you in, was it, did you say October that you started your pilgrimage? I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Let's hear about it. Oh goodness. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I kind of got the idea over the summer. I got it kind of like this, you know, murmuring that was like, 
because I, I thought about it since the pandemic started. It was like, well, if all I need is this table on my laptop, I could have a table and a laptop somewhere else than you know my home base. And I love traveling. I've always loved traveling and movement and uh, and novelty. You know, different. I could be in a different place every week. All the I just love that sense of new environment, new places, um, new settings. And so I've always thought about that. I'd always wanted to have a job where I got to travel a lot, but I never did. And so I was kind of thinking about it a lot. And then um, I think it was like after the summer, I realized that there was nothing stopping me. There was no reason not to just go for it. And then a few women that I had met on online networking events, like during the pandemic, were all uh, meeting together in Tennessee in November. And I thought, well, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's just do it and see what happens. So, and I thought about keeping, I had a studio apartment in Northern California and I thought about keeping it, but then I said, you know what? Um, I just, I'm going to let it go because I, who knows what will happen or what I'll find. And I think I just want to really just take off and, and see. So I took a big leap of faith and I moved out of my place and I hit the road and was on the road for a, a lot longer than I expected for over three months. I was thinking I'd be back by the holidays, but I was not. <laughs> yeah. And how's it been? Uh, it's been an adventure. It was definitely as life and the universe will serve you up often. It was very different than what I, my expectations, you know, um, you and I talked shortly before I left and I really thought that I was taken off on this, you know, free flying adventure that I was going to leave everything behind and just go and just have, you know, freedom and space and lighthearted experiences. And what it turned out to be, was really, you know, more of a, sort of a excavation, a purging of sorts. Um, it's, again, it's ironic, but I went to leave things behind, but what it really was, was I dove deep into everything that was within me that I thought was resolved. And I thought I'd moved on from, but it was really kind of crying out and saying, listen, you know, if you truly want to move forward, you need to see this. There's still more that needs to be acknowledged and seen and heard that isn't resolved from your past. And, um, and a big part for me, and I don't know if you experienced this, Ellie, but um, I turned 36 in September. And I'm not sure if you're around the same age or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 38. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so something when I turned 36, I was like, it felt very like, I was like, oh, like this is a whole new chapter. Like, I feel like the first half of my life was like all about getting to where I'm now. And I feel like now I'm stepping out into what's next. It just felt like this very like defined step, like, okay, the first half. And now the second part of my life where you know, I will, will maybe settle down and, you know, have all these different things that I haven't had in the first time of my first half of my life. And I feel like that declaration was kind of what incited this. It was like, okay, now I'm starting anew. And again, it was like, the universe was like, well, but you have to re have resolve some things from the past. If you really want to move forward. Right. I heard once this quote that said something along, along the lines of you can't walk through the doors of your future. If you're wearing like the baggage from your past, because it won't fit through the doorway. And it was like that. And so this trip was like, it was a favor. I know it was, it was in my best interest, but um, it wasn't what I expected, you know, deep emotional work. Um, and just, I just had to really feel a lot, you know, it wasn't like I was, you know, expecting it and doing like a lot of um, therapy myself or any of that. It was just sort of like having to allow these feelings to come up and up and up and just sit with them. I mean, mm -hmm. on my trip, there were, there were days where I just cried the whole day. 
And I could not stop crying. And I was like, this makes no sense. (laughs) Yeah. It's so old. Why am I thinking about this one thing that happened when I was in, you know, seventh grade and I thought I was done with it. And I think, yeah, it's just this stuff that we have that needs to be heard and revisited because, you know, you're aware of the concept of soul retrieval, but it's that kind of idea that, you know, we think that something's in our past, but often when we have really traumatic or upsetting events, we almost sort of, you know, condemn a part of ourselves that was lived through that because it was so painful and so awful that we just didn't want to have to like have it. So we're like, Oh gosh, that's, I don't want to think about that. I just want to push it aside, but it doesn't just go away. You know? Right. Right. And so then it's, it's still carried with, right. The, those fractionated parts of ourselves that we may or may not have like consciously rejected, but we did, you know, there's fractionating and dis- disintegration, so to speak, you know, and then those parts of ourselves we reject or put away until, you know, they surface, whether that's because we're, we have readiness or life says it's time, you know, and what I'm hearing from you too, with your trip of this, like, um, you know, when you turn 36, that there is this um, almost like the idea of a you know, in life incarnation, you know, how we have that concept that we can have like lives within our life kind of. And so there's that at 36 of this feeling, like there's, there's this like line in the sand of like, right. Like, so that was like first incarnation. And a lot of times in between like one incarnation and the next in life, there's this in life review of like, you know, ages zero to 36, right? (laughs) And so I'm blown. It's so true. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then we look back, but in that process too, of that like 36 to like now, and you know, at whatever point you start to feel that, like that turnover again, is that that is when so much comes back up for, for review, whether that's to be processed, to be reprocessed, you know, some of it is things that we've never really processed because for whatever reason in our younger years, we didn't have the capacity or we didn't have the luxury of it. You know, sometimes that requires like time and space that we don't have, or our brains aren't fully formed. We're babies. We can't possibly process all those things, you know? And then when they come back up, it's like, ah, okay. And that is part of that, like ego death or dark night of the soul or soul retrieval too, of like going back to that, that point of fractionating. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That is such a great point. It's the in-between worlds, right? Mm-hmm. In-between lines where the life review, I, I hadn't thought of that. I really appreciate you sharing that, that piece because that's exactly what it felt like. It was like yeah. my whole life was kind of flashing before me and have, and needing to be looked at and considered. And I was feeling it, you know, I was feeling it. And it's just what you said, that fragmentation. Um, I think the strongest things that were coming up and it's one of the, the hardest things I think, you know, as we know, when we work with people on their trauma, and well, I'll speak for myself. I know that when I've had to work through trauma, the hardest piece is that, you know, maybe it was something that a frustration with another person, something that I felt was done to me. But in the end, the person I was most upset with was myself. Mm. There's this part of me of that felt like, why, why did you do like, why did you let this happen? If you weren't so this or that, if you were better, if you were prettier, if you were something else, this never would have happened. Yeah. So it was kind of recognizing that like throughout my life, I was so mad and almost hated myself mm-hmm. and really and you know that those fragmentations were literally me wanting to like cut out part of who I was and say you are not allowed here I don't want you I don't like you I hate you yeah and it was like having to sit with that and be like oh my gosh this is so painful that I to feel that way about myself and to feel so 
sad about, you know, how much I disregarded and rejected myself. Um, yeah. So it's just a brutal process. It is. And there's such stacked wounding there too, you know, that we can sit with of like that original, thought and feeling of, for example, like if, if I were this, then that, you know, if I were prettier then or whatever. So like kind of going back in time to like reconnect with that thought process can be like incredibly enlightening to realize like what our subconscious beliefs are or that internal dialogue that is the wind in our sails. And then to, to counter that with like shame and judgment of like, why did I think that way? You know? And so we're just stacking wounding and then to hopefully come through at some point with that compassion of like, well, this is why I thought that way. This was the indoctrination or this was the programming. This was my experience. This is the reward system that like stimulated that type of thought and rewarded it because of like, you know, whatever was going on in our environment at the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's that understanding, you know, first the identification of what happened and what it is mm-hmm. that's still sort of with you, what the trauma was. And then identifying your feelings around it, which we just said, you know, like the anger, the rejection, and the only way through that or to resolve it is the understanding is to have, is to go back and say, I still, it still hurts that this happened. And I'm still, there's still that little part of me that's still, you know, a 15 year old girl. That's like, why, why did this have to happen? And it was so unfair. And it's having to talk to that part. Like I had literal dialogues with myself, which I would recommend Mm -hmm. to anyone who's struggling with this stuff, because you got to know that that little part of you is still there and, you know, talking to them and saying, I, I see you, I, I know how much that hurt yet. You know, you have to understand that, you know, you did the best that you could and mm-hmm. it wasn't fair, but it is part of your path. And also what I started to do when I would do, you know, this is kind of like inner child work, right. Inner yeah. child or soul retrieval. Cause I did a lot of this on my trip and I would make sure to, when I did it and went to visit my old self and younger parts of myself, and I would thank them and I would say, what you went through has enabled the path for who I am today. So I'm so, I'm sorry. And, but I'm so proud of you for being so strong. And I thank you because if you had it persevered, I wouldn't have gotten here. Right. And so I always picture it's sort of like bringing yourself back together, like welcoming all these little parts of you, like, so that we're all walking forward together, which is right. a beautiful Right. Like when you have that visualization of like, literally you, um, like every single day of your entire life, like imagine like what that whole crowd would look like. It's like a bunch right, of your whole entourage of yeah. like little Whitney's <laughs> and little Allie's of like, yeah, that's totally right. Right. Totally. I'm like, dang, that's quite an entourage. <laughs> Powerful right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And you know, what it reminds me of too, is like in um, like inter-family systems, you know, IFS and like the clinical world, which is so metaphysical, I think too, of that, you know, that there's that the soul or ourself, you know, self with a capital S that there's, um, you, you know, they're kind of fractionated at some points and they're either, you know, I think the terminology is like a manager. So something that goes into hyper control or a firefighter and something that goes into crisis management. And, you know, we all have different parts of that. But those little parts of like little Whitney and little Ellie that we can identify, like what role are they playing and why is so insightful because they show up as adults, you know? And so not only can we look back on the timeline to see like, oh, you know, 15 year old Ellie was really in that archetype and here's why. And not only thank you for that, but seeing, like you said, like the resilience embedded in those behaviors and the adaptation, you know, and like we always say in the clinical world, like what is adaptive may become maladaptive, but remembering that at one time, that was how we adapted to the world. Every dysfunction has its function. And so that's where I think the compassion can come in to say, yeah, that was, 
your numbing agent. We needed that addiction or we needed that eating disorder. We needed that promiscuity or whatever. I mean, do we need it? Maybe, maybe not. But that was like the route in which we got a need met. Right. And we were doing our best at this at that time. So when we can come in as like our whole self now and just kind of like you said, I, I always envision it as almost like breathing those parts back into us of like, you know, like, like pouring water into water, you know, how just like we, we, we integrate again and reparent ourselves. And then as we move forward, we can see when those archetypes show up again in non, non-judgment, but understand like, okay, a little rebel, rebel Ellie is coming up. What does she need? Or, you know, whatever, whatever the archetypes show up as that that's, that can be so profound. Yeah. And allow for them, you know, mm-hmm. no longer sort of being like, oh, this can't happen. Like I can't be thinking this way or having this frustration. But again, seeing it as like, as part of our pack, as part of our, you know, our essence is okay. Mm-hmm. This is what's coming up. And I have my understanding of this and I, it won't last. It's just, it's just a part that needs to be heard right now. And that's okay. It's yeah. cool. And I can be with that and not try to deny that not and push it away further right like keep ourselves like further disintegrated separated from self yeah you mentioned soul retrieval um i'd love to hear a little bit more about what your how you conceptualize soul retrieval and like how that might show up in our our day-to-day living yeah so i think i mean it very much to me is very closely related to inner child work but to me, it kind of takes it to the level of energy where one of my friends described it as when we have a traumatic moment, you know, that moment in time there, it's an energetic expression that's sort of, sort of like seal locked. It's, you know, energetically locked in place and just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, again, the same way we try to disintegrate, we, we want to push that away, like out into the ethers of the universe mm-hmm. and be like, okay, that's out of me. That's not a part of me. I don't like that part. I don't right. want it too painful. It's too scary. I don't want it, but it doesn't, it doesn't go away. And so it's about really going back and reclaiming again, just like we said, reclaiming, like, no, like this mm-hmm. is a powerful energetic expression that is a part of me yeah. and it does not belong out there in the universe. It belongs at home with me and the rest of me. And I will never be whole until that piece is with me. So mm. we go back and we reclaim it and we bring it back to enable this whole picture, this whole amazing, perfect expression that is us mm-hmm. and our whole soul, you know, cause there's no such thing in the soul at a soul level of anything that's less than or tainted or not worthy. That does, that's not it, right. We know that right. is, you know, sort of more metaphysical work that everything is, is equal and of great perfection and essence and just beauty and love. That's all anything is, is love expression of love. And so we need that, even though we label it as not good. Well, that was yeah. the worst moment of my life. And I wish it had never happened. I think that's, that's what I've been struggling with a lot is almost this sort of, um, very immature infant mentality of, I don't, I wish that didn't happen. And I just want it to go away. And I don't mm-hmm. want to believe that that actually happened to me. I want to like move forward and just pretend like I was never that person. And I never had that moment, but I did. And again, like, it's like that it would be like leaving a little kid, like, out in the dust, you know, like out on a road and be like, sorry, that what happened to you was like really horrific. And I don't, you're on your own now. Mm -hmm. That child would be just left alone to the sadness and trauma. So we go back and we reclaim, you know, that that part of us that is part of our soul, that is part of our essence that has always deserved and has always really been with us, but it's about 
like you said, pouring it back in. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, you know, like you said, if there is that, like that process of internal rejection and abandonment of, you know, like you, like metaphorically, if we see that little child of saying like, no, sorry, that happened to you. It's too horrific. You're not welcome here. You know, that that's self-betrayal and that's, you know, internal abandonment really. And so when we do bring that in, that's part of how we heal that fear of abandonment or fear of rejection or fear of inadequacy, not good enoughness, or, you know, which equates to kind of that fear of like ostracism, you know, which is like such a like core instinctive need for that belonging, you know, and that's why that is so inherent. And so even in micro ways, you know, and like, I don't know, little ways on social media or in the real world that we, you know, it, we, like our, our nervous system responds to it as if we're being ostracized from the group, which, you know, feels like a threat to our safety. And I think that like you, what you're saying about that, um, those experiences that we have that we may feel shame or rejection of, um, not only does that like create kind of a, a fracture in our psyche, but that energy of like, you know, that, that you described ends up being stored in the body as well. And so that's kind of a, I think a watery concept at times to grasp when we're thinking of like, well, how does one go about soul retrieval? How does one go about this integration of aspects of self? And I think more and more we're learning the importance of embodiment and learning the importance of like, where might that shame, for example, be held in the body where we might have processed things from an intellectual standpoint and we might have felt the feelings. But when we go into like, I cried all day or I got sick and I couldn't get up and I whatever, you know, I was like dropped into the body, then that means that we're able to kind of release that energy, you know, embolism <laughs> that it can seem to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it, it truly is. And those are the things that will manifest into, you know, medical conditions and physical conditions, because, you know, so much of anything we experience physically is just emotional energy that is stored and isn't flowing. You know, most, any, any sort of ailment is related to constriction, a lack of of flow, a lack of, you know, things being able to work through the body and and function. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's an energetic block will create that and emotional stored emotions that are sort of at a lower level, right? Because we're denying them. We don't want to see them. They're just kind of shoved down there. And we right. think that it's energetic and it's not like sitting there on the surface to see that we're like, it's fine. It's fine that I'm not dealing with this and I'm not working with this, but it has its consequences. Right. That always reminds me of like being a little one and being like, you can't see me, you know, like, like hiding under a blanket. I know, like I used to hide under my dad used to have this leather jacket and I would like hide under it and feel like so tricky, you know, that you can't see me. And that's kind of, I think how we, our, our society can kind of be about repression and suppression of that, like, you know, squash it down with our squasher downers. And then we move on as if nothing happened and act like, like we can just keep doing that without a consequence somewhere down the line. And we can't, that's not, that's not how it works. It has to be processed somehow. And not that the processing always has to be active or it doesn't have to be a hell period. It doesn't have to be a dark night of the soul, but there can't be that constant avoidance and the sidestepping of, of our shit. You know, our processing can be joyful. It can be free, but it, it, it must be done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you use the word free. And, and the thing is, is that 
as long as we have these, they're, they're all kind of, these things all kind of bind us. The more mm-hmm. you have these things stored that we don't want to deal with, it's like this one more like strapping us down from feeling, we feel kind of beholden. You know, yeah. I know that I have felt very beholden to my past because you're still hurting from it. When you haven't dealt with it, you still have these feelings about yourself surrounding what happened. And, and, you know, I want to also speak to what you, you said earlier, which is, you know, the, the innate desire to have approval and especially by our peers and those around us. And now it's been magnified because there's so many outlets on a day-to-day basis that you can seek approval from and sort of check in on, check in all your social medias and see like, how am I performing today? Yeah. You know, we like check on the performance of ourselves as a being. And that's, um, you know, that can be very, well, it can be addictive for one. Mm-hmm. We can't stay stuck on it, but it can be very, um, you know, it can either lift you up or take you down. Right. Yeah. But I wanted to mention this because that's a big part of, of my story is a lot of my trauma was bullying from the mm-hmm. time I was in middle school through high school. And I just want to say this for anyone who needs to hear it, that don't underestimate the impact of being rejected by your peers and by those mm-hmm. around you. Because mm-hmm. people say, well, oh, well, you know, just brush it off. They were just being rude. But just as you said, we have an innate desire to be welcomed and accepted and brought in by those we're communal humans we're communal people communal species right we're meant to be together we're meant and so when we feel rejected or like there's something that's keeping us from being welcomed mm-hmm. it, it it really gets us at a, a you know a strong level of oh my gosh what's wrong with me what's right. wrong with me? what right. and i think that's what a lot of trauma comes down to is like this means something's wrong with me. Why did this happen? Or, or because this happened to me, there's something fundamentally wrong and I'll never be. Okay. So I, I just want to speak to that because I think that so many things that are still trauma, we say, well, I just need to get over it. I needed to like, let it go. It shouldn't matter that much to me. Well, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that, it's not, we can't look to rationality to explain it. Emotions cannot be explained logically. They're emotions. Mm-hmm. Water, like you said, water can be hard. You can't hold water very well. Right. right? Mm-hmm. It's still real. It's still a thing. And and you have to like at least be with it and let it like flow through you, even if you can't, you know, make a perfect shape with it and be like, okay, I can put this in a box and explain it. You have, you just have to allow for it. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And I like a couple of things that you said, you know, even about that, like that shaming that we can do like, oh, that happened so long ago, I should get over that or the, the, the gaslighting, the dismissiveness of that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, why is this still coming up? And, you know, part of that, clinically speaking, we know that like our brain doesn't tra- timestamp trauma. So it stores the information from it as if it happened two minutes ago, which is like why triggers happen. You know, we, we're reacting in real time to something that like, is associated with a past experience that is hinted at today, you know, in real time. Right. And so like, that's all in the limbic system, which doesn't process information the same way. It doesn't process time in a linear way. So trauma and and therefore like healing and recovery is non-linear. Um, and so like giving that credit, but I think I, I really love what you're saying too, about that. The experiences with bullying. I share that when I was um, middle school, high school, and I mean, realistically, if I look at my like young adulthood, you know, of being like bullied by mean girls, typically, you know, and how that, you know, as parents, I think we can tend, we have this tendency, or parents can have this tendency to look at the experiences and see the trajectory of the bigger picture of like, next year, you know, you'll be at a new school and you'll have new friends and that won't matter. And so like, sometimes that can provide, you know, 
some light at the end of the tunnel or some hope on the horizon. But we, but parents fail to remember that children's brains are not fully formed and they do not process information that way. And they can't see beyond that. So they don't care what next year's like. They, they care about, they can't even fathom next year, right? And so it's like, but right now, this is what's happening. And I don't know how to cope with it. I don't know how to stand up for myself. I don't know how to process what's happening. I don't know how to see from like a bird's eye view why these children are behaving this way towards me. And so, as you say, the meaning that we create is like, it must be something wrong with me. And then we also create more meaning out of those. Well, I can't trust those types of girls or I can't, you know, make friends because X, Y, Z. And then there's all these like false truths that we carry around in response to that, which feel very real and very valid based off of those experiences. So thank you for speaking to that, especially for young ones or parents of young ones, you know, to remember that like, it's so real. And it's part of, you know, our, our um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that second rung is belonging. So above safety and our security needs, our survival is belonging. That's, that's so important to our core. It really is. It really is. And so it, it can be one of the most devast- devastating things that can happen as a young one. It, Cause it's that first, one of the first shocks to the system that we get where it's like, oh, I'm not okay. How I am, how mm-hmm. I look is not okay. How I act, what I'm, how I speak anything where it's like, Oh gosh, how I show up is just, you know, I show up and I'm not okay. That's what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm that way. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? People don't like me. And I don't, yeah. I can't change this about me. Right. And just what you said as a child, you, you don't have any of those resources to be like, oh, it doesn't matter. I can be awesome and just be me. And you don't within you, you don't have that yet. You haven't, you know, developed that cognitive understanding. And so it really, um, you know, can sort of stunt your growth. You can kind of, st- I mean, there's definitely part of me that's still an eight-year-old girl and just feels like, why doesn't that person like me? Because yeah. it stuns you at that point, you know, you get right. mm-hmm. um, it's just so painful. It's so painful. And, you know, this makes me think of you, you spoke earlier about betrayal of the self. And what I believe is that a lot of, you know, so I specialize in addiction. I myself am in recovery from addiction, um, from drugs, alcohol, and eating disorder. And that's some of the biggest healing I'm doing as well as, you know, when you have that kind of pain and you question mm-hmm. your worth and your lovability and your acceptability as a human, mm-hmm. when you question it, you'll do a lot to gain it. Well, yeah. okay. I'm not lovable, but maybe if I'm cool and I, I drink and party with people, they'll like me, or maybe if I, you know, sleep with people, they'll give me love and I'll be lovable. Mm-hmm. And so we betray ourselves by saying, mm-hmm. well, I don't think it's that great for me to really compromise my body and my being. However, if it will result in being accepted and approved of and loved by others, then heck, I, I need it. So right. then, we, like you said also earlier, you pile on, you compact the trauma. The original yeah. trauma happens, and then we do our best with the tools we have to resolve this issue. Because right. I don't know what else to do. I right. have no idea how else to get over this pain. It's too much, and I can't get out of it, so I'll try these other ways. And I think a lot that's a lot of what addiction is, is really compromising the self to achieve what we feel we you know, don't have what we feel that we fundamentally are, you know, defective in. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, in in the most, I mean, somewhat reductionistic way and, but fundamentally addiction really is just a coping skill. You know, it's, it's a way it's either the, the path in which to receive, like you said, that like 
that need of, you know, belonging, like, well, maybe if I party or I drink or I, you know, sleep with this person, that that's the the pathway to affection or love or, you know, feeling desirable or my worth. That's my value. That's what I have to give. Um, that's what people want from me kind of thing. And then that, that creates like, you know, these, um, these associations, you know, that like, I, I have worth if I do this or, you know, whatever. And then that, that is, there's so much deconstruction with that, you know, in addiction recovery and eating disorder, I share that history, as you know, with the eating disorder and, um, substance abuse. And that is such an interesting, like, I mean, speaking of like incarnations, kind of looking back on those, that, that time in my life or that like epoch (laughs) of my life of looking at, you know, that mindset and just feeling that, like that sadness for me at that time. And also, um, I mean, something that I've had to do a lot of unraveling with is shame, you know, to still be able to understand where that came from and have compassion for myself. But it's like, it's always like, there's always been this undercurrent of shame because it was such a departure from self at times of like knowing better, but, or, you know, having this like lady on the streets, freaking the sheets, kind of like two, you know, two different, like two different lives at times and feeling so like, like these are not like, I don't know how to reconcile these things. And so we want to reject that. And yet like it it needs reconciliation, Mm -hmm. which brings us back as we spoke before about that understanding, that level of understanding where you say in your, the shame is, is one of the hardest things. It's the deepest Mm -hmm. thing because it's shame is always associated with the past. Right. And we can't change it. And that's, again, something that recently has been the hardest for me is how do I make peace with this? Cause I can't, right. change it. and I've gone through weird phases where I, I will spend time fantasizing about changing the past. I'm like, well, what if I had just done, what if I had done this? And then I could have done this and then this could happen. And it's the most futile exercise ever because it achieves nothing and just puts us in this, you know, warped space of thinking that, you know, we can, there's another timeline that we could just maybe tap into, yeah. um, but something that feels satisfying about it. just like an addiction where it's like, you know, it's taking you to a dead end, but for a moment it feels good. So you do it. Right. Um, And so it's that level of recognizing that it all comes from shame. We're ashamed that we made a certain choice or we did a certain thing and we wish so much we could have changed it. Yet we can't change it. And again, the understanding of, okay, well, there is a reason why I made that exact decision at that exact time. And I have to check back in with that person that I was at that time of that decision And again, I've had conversations before with my past self and been like, what's going on with you? And just, and really talk to them and realize, you know, I couldn't have made a different choice at that time. It was the only way that I believed I could proceed that I needed to. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps with a lot with the shame to just recognize that there is nothing to be ashamed about. You know, we're always doing the best that we can. And sometimes when we make decisions that we realize we're not for our highest good. That's what leads us to make a different decision next time. And there's so many things in my life. And I'm sure you can agree. And most people that if I hadn't made that decision, I never would have learned. I needed to go there because I was trying to force something or so stuck on a certain thing. I needed to have something happen to be a bit of a catalyst for change. Like you want to change it, but really it was like one of the most pivotal points points of your life that had to happen. Right. And you're right that we can go into that kind of bargaining with the past of, you know, I mean, uh, on the one hand, yeah, on the one hand, there's that part of our mind that can go into like, 
obsession, rumination for separation about like, you know, playing the tape again and again on repeat of what happened as if we're going to like grasp onto something different or it's going to change or that, you know, there's going to be that like butterfly effect that something shifts. And yet it also kind of reminds me of like the grief process, you know, that in the grief process is with this, the right. stages of grief that we bargain. Um, and so maybe if we even like, like lean into that of just grieving, things that happen, grieving parts of ourselves that have died away or where we were and the grief of like the disillusionment that comes with like realizing that, you know, things about ourselves that are uncomfortable to realize or realizing things about the world or our traumas or our relationships. And that's so disillusioning that like there, there's grief, I think with that, because there is a death involved with disillusionment and an ego death even of like recognizing like I... I no longer identify the way that I once did, which is inherently what an ego death is. And I like what you were saying too about that, you know, going backwards on our timeline and looking at like, well, that's the only way it could have been. And sometimes, you know, if we kind of drop into the spiritual perspective, bird's eye view of like, not only the way it needed to be for our path and our learning, um, or whether it needed to or not, it's the way it was. Right. And so even that, like, so how, how does that tie in for you with like kind of bringing that all full circle with like um, dark night of the soul and soul retrieval and trust, you know, trusting the path that has unfolded? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the more you speak to it, it does, it really is just that process. All of it is just a big process of grief. When you're going into a dark night of the soul, it has all these things, but ultimately all you're doing is trying to make peace. And making peace is the process of identifying what the event was that caused the distress and allowing yourself to see what the result of that event was, what your understanding, what it caused you to believe about yourself. And then the shame that came from that, the grief that came just as you're speaking of, and then ultimately the acceptance and the peace made with it. Right. So it's like, you're diving under there to really get to the root of things. So it really does all, you know, kind of circle back on itself. And you know, I, I think that the, um, the grief part is so important. And I think it's the last part because it is true. It's, it's ultimately, um, it's grieving, not only the betrayal of the self, but also just what you said, the, the person that maybe you thought you were going to be, or the way you thought things were going to be that weren't, or, you know, just all these things, or just the fact that something happened and you can't change it. And so when you finally, it's like, you're holding on so tight trying to like, no, with your anger and your disapproval of like, no, like that couldn't have happened. It couldn't have been, but why did I do this to anger? Just all these different resentments, different feelings. But then the grief to me is that where you finally let go and just, you kind of, it reminds me of um, the six of swords in tarot. Mm -hmm. It's like you're on that boat and you're like, you're, you know, that you can leaving it behind will bring you to such greater peace and freedom, but there's still that grief in it where you're like, I'm dying to this person that for so long I thought that if I fought hard enough, I could get what I really thought I wanted, but I have to let that go. I have to end that fight. You know, right. I have to, in order to move on to who I'm truly meant to be and to those calmer waters, I have to let it go. And there's sadness in that with the same way that, you know, when I talk to people who are in recovery from an, you know, alcoholism or an eating disorder, when you leave those things behind, it's not just like, Oh good. That was really annoying and miserable. So I'm it's, you know, it's, there's grief there. There's loss. It's a loss and there's sadness because it was something that you really had as a companion and that served you for a long time. And as much as it was 
toxic and unhealthy and miserable, um, you know, it was still there for you and it was still yours. Right. So in that same way that these dark nights of the souls are really, you know, this departure and sort of like almost like a funeral to these things that once made up who we were and, you know, we're now moving on from. Yeah. And that, I think, um, with that grief process, I like what you said about that, that it really is all just that. And with grief, we acknowledge the death of something, the metaphorical or real death of something. And with death, we know that like, there's a finality to that. We also know that like with the death rebirth cycle, that like, there's, you know, there's a reclamation of sorts or a rising again, but like, but after transformation. And so when we are dying unto ourself, you know, parts of self, whether it's in recovery or something that there's that, to me, it feels like a glimmer of hope when we remember, like, it's not just death. And now I'm like void space. It's death unto myself. And from there I rise again. And that feels like so light to me. And so like, hopeful and encouraging and like back within our sphere of like embodiment and power and control. And I think that's sometimes why when we're really over identifying with parts of our third dimension world or our identity, and we don't want to like, let that go. It's because we feel like, am, am I just nothing? Am I a void space? Am I, do you know, when that, when we just yeah. feel like then, then what is it? Because it feels like, well, I'm in that, I'm in that in-between space again, and it hasn't fully come into, yeah, it hasn't fully formed or come into like, um, the physical perhaps, or it's on its way. Um, and you're right with that recovery of anything, you know, especially with substances, um, eating disorder, different things, whatever that is, you know, whatever our dance was at some point in our life that we, you're right. It wasn't all bad, you know, or brought some things that it was an expression of self that we couldn't find in another way at that time. Or it was a companion, just like a toxic relationship, a toxic romantic relationship, right? It's not all bad. Or you wouldn't have that's done it always, at all, right? Yeah, like that's always the analogy I use. Yeah, is, right. Because like, there's nobody who will say that. Oh, I was in this horrible, toxic relationship, so I ended it and was fine the next day. It's yeah. brutal. It's actually, I think, it's hardest to get out of a toxic relationship because there's so much to like unpack <laughs> after you end something like that. There's so much to face. There's so much to look at, and so much confusion about like what the heck was that, you know? And talk about confusion. Like when you get out of an eating disorder, it's like what what was that? Like, what, how did I get there? How did I think that like shrinking myself and starving myself was any form of solution or like anything beneficial or what, what was going on? Why would I do that? So again, same with it's, those are the hardest things to, again, as as bad as they might've been and toxic, they're still so challenging to process and to move on. Right. And they're associated with that, like calibration of our nervous system, you know, like with codependency that that's ultimately like, you know, if we break down the word co meaning together and then dependency, you know, that is dependent on one another, we must have one another in order to be okay. If we're dependent upon something, um, so we become codependent in relationships, codependent with our substances, which creates that, like, if then relationship, if I do this, then, and we think that, you know, that's the only way in which we'll obtain that outcome. Um, and same thing with like toxic relationships, they're always codependent. And that is in part, like our nervous system is depending on the presence of that person or atmosphere, whatever, to regulate our nervous system. And when we take that away, the substance, the relationship, the eating disorder, the whatever that we feel like, yeah, like I don't, I don't know how to regulate. 
I don't know how to calibrate. My nervous system is like going haywire. And that's why we circle back. That's why we relapse. That's why we go back to the relationship, why we go back to the thing that we know doesn't serve, but it's solved to the wound Yep. until it comes back. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that you point out the, if this, then that, that's why I always explain addiction is that it, what it comes down to, you know, there's always two roads. I tell people when we're getting into recovery, there's the road of recovery. And then there's the road of our, our disorder or addiction. And yeah. the difference between those two, it all comes down to conditionality and unconditional. When we decide to surrender to recovery, we're saying, I just have to, again, that grief, that six of swords in it, where you're like, I just have to admit that if I don't accept myself just as I am, I'm always going to be miserable and tied to this idea that I have to be something in order to be good enough, worthy. And because the road of addiction or, or disorder is conditionality, where if, if I have this, then that, if I'm thin enough, then I'm acceptable. Then I'll win approval. If I get enough success, then I'll be seen in a certain light. And then, then maybe I'll love myself. It's so crazy. That's all we're ever trying to get to is we're really the only person's approval we ever really want is our own. The only reason we want everyone in the world's approval is because so we consider ourselves. Okay. That's good enough. Now I'm good enough. Now I may rest. Now I may rest. It's an inside job always. But the problem with externals, as we know, is that it's then you're beholden to this thing yeah. that you have no control over and you have to constantly feed on it in order to keep that validation up. And honestly, I mean, that's the world that we live in. You know, mm-hmm. most people, it's this system that we're all so stuck in. And, you know, most people are addicted in some way to something because of that conditionality. Right. And it is such a, it is such a tricky balance because with that, the inside job, you know, the internal experience versus the external, we need both, you know, we need a little bit of healthy external validation is incredibly useful and incredibly healing. You know, that's, that's partly why healthy belonging is, you know, so transformational is like that it holds up this mirror to ourselves of like, we are lovable as we are and that it's not conditional belonging and that we can, you know, we, we can love, we can learn to love that way, learn to love ourselves, learn to see ourselves through the mirror that other people hold up for us in a way that is really like true to self. And that can be so just so magic and, you know, such medicine. And yet there is that like balance on the, on the flip side, like you said, everything has that golden shadow and like the underbelly too. So if we're, if we're only seeking external validation or we're seeking the external validation in the wrong places, then we become conditional of like, when I have this, then I'm good enough and I may rest. Or then, you know, if I have enough followers, the likes, the whatever, and it skews our perspective of ourselves as well. When we get I don't, you know, that being on that golden shadow or on the re- the receiving end of like the more hurtful or negative that we feel like, is that how I am? And we, we question ourselves, you know? So it is that balance of like having the internal strong sense of self, knowing what our value system is, knowing what's in alignment for ourselves, knowing who we are, as well as like, trusting in, you know, other, other systems outside of ourselves that can help be the checks and balances. Yes. Yes. And when you were talking earlier, Ellie, I had this, this thought of, you know, to me, that's the reason why we incarnate as souls on this planet. It's like this very unique, challenging place. It's like, Hey, sign up for this game where you're going to learn how to, how do you learn to love your true essence when all you can see is that which is physical and you can get a lot of response to that and you can see a lot of value, but how do you learn how to balance the true essence of who you are that you can't see 
versus what you present with, you know, how do you find that balance between what is without and what is within and knowing that both are of great importance and both are equally sacred and neither can be diminished. Right. 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 And that's right. And that's the function of the ego is always to be, um, in relation, you know, that's how it's identified as like, I am a mother, I'm a therapist, I'm a friend, I'm a partner, I'm a this, I'm a that. So I am who I am is in relation to this external thing. And that's at first kind of our, our first awareness, I think, of ourself, you know, is through external experiences and other people. And our, our society does so much cultivation of just that rather than the cultivation of like connection to self, you know, because when we think of like little ones, how they can be so pure and so like of themselves, not of the world. And that's partly why we all just want to like go back to the womb and be little kids again. <laughs> it's because of that like authentic free spiritedness, you know, just like I am or I am and it's quirky and it's fun, you know, until like other things seep in. But that's just such a, um, such a, such the human condition is, is navigating that. Yeah. Yet I do have hope because if you, you know, if you look at it, um, it feels like our species is only, I mean, we are a fairly young species in the grand scheme of things. We're kind of still in like a child adolescent phase yeah. where like, we are still like, oh my gosh, look what I can do with like my looks or my, this or my achievements. Like, oh my God, this is so flashy and fun. And I just want to play with this. And we abuse things. We take it to the limit the same way a little kid will or an adolescent when they're like, oh, there's no consequences. I can just yeah. do, I can play video games all day because I love them and it's all I want. Or I can just focus on this one thing. And, but we're slowly learning we're going to have to learn pretty fast and things are speeding up now. You know, I think the reason why we're having this whole talk today, Ellie, is because what you and I are discussing, what I experienced on my trip and what you were experiencing in your own life, we're all experiencing. There's this shift that's happening because we're ready. Almost like it almost, it's like the macro, but we're just talking about our, as a world, we're kind of ready to level up, but the world is having a dark night of the soul collectively. We look at this of 2020, what else do we call it? We're being right. forced to look at things that are very inconvenient and very disruptive. And we've kind of been holed up and forced to make changes in order to see things and identify what's not working and what needs to be healed. So right. it's all a part of the whole bigger picture and process. Mm-hmm. Right. And as, as always, as below, as above, so below, as within, so without. And so on that macro level, like you said, that collectively we are going through dark night of the soul of looking at like, Oh, you know, like how, um, how heavy certain things are and looking at like, whoa, what have we done? And then looking forward, if we continue this, then that, you know, in terms of like some forecasting, um, and, and deciding how are we going to handle that differently? And then there is that, that divisive split of some that are really on board with that. And that is what kind of accelerates the extension of our species and of this, you know, mother earth. But then there's also some that represent our other parts of ourselves, even within per person of like, yeah, I don't really want to look at that. I don't really want to talk about that yet. You know, I like this, you know, I like this. This is comfortable for me. I'm not ready to think about that, you know? And so we have to like gently like turn the gaze within, turn the gaze towards the things that need to be seen to activate that change so that we can continue, you know, the ascension and the ascension of our planet. Yeah. And Which you know, is why we're here. Oh yeah. Which I, we, yeah, we all signed up for this very uh, yeah. interesting, fascinating time that we're in. So mm-hmm. I know that, it, you know, um, when I'm at, you know, a good wise mind level, I'm like, okay, 
this is this is for I'm I'm really accelerating things here because this yeah. is a tough lifetime and we're we're getting a lot worked out. So just you know this we we were aware of this. But what's interesting is that um uh astrologically is you know you're we're both into astrology as well and we're actually going into Pluto's return for the US. Yeah. So we were just talking about like our world and, and you said about us looking back at our history and being, you know, there's shame. And we're being forced to look at that and and you know with our country going through that, I'm really hopeful that maybe we'll go through this process as a nation together where we recognize yeah. if we just keep trying to turn our heads away from what we've done and move forward. We're, we're going to find ourselves with a, with increasing discomfort. Cause again, that's what happens when you don't face your trauma. Things will build up. It's, it's going to keep trying to tell you and give you signs that, Hey, you can't just try and leave this behind. You yes. can't just try to run from this. Right. And that Pluto energy, you know, is such, such of the underbelly, the death and rebirth, you know, that transformation cycle. And like with the, the Pluto's return for the, the U S um, it, it's such a, um, it, it just, it's one of those things that to me, when we, when we look at it from that angle, it makes such perfect sense to recognize like that is, that is what's going on. Like another in-life review, so to speak of like where we've been, where are we going? Is that an alignment? And I think most would say no. You know, and we have di- we all have different ideas of like where that should be, or you know, to defend the past, like we can do for ourselves. Um, and yet, that is part of like I think where like you had said a few moments ago, feeling like there's hopefulness, and I and I do believe in that, and I do believe in the processes of the universe. Frankly, that like we, it, it's like it's like parenting children that you can as a child, you're given a choice, you can do it, or it's or mom and dad are going to make the choice for you. You know, and the universe is kind of that same way of like this is what we're going to do. And you can like get on board or you get the ejection seat and we're going to do it for you. Or, you know, it just keeps like, we, we can't sidestep the consequences. And so you get a tower moment. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. I talk in tarot a lot. Yes. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. The tower moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. But then I also, when you were talking earlier, had this vision and it was when you were describing sort of like what's happening when we go through this, you know, sort of in between time when we're transforming, we're not who we were, but we have to, you know, sort of, we basically liquefy. And it made me think of the caterpillar and the chrysalis where a caterpillar literally liquefies. It's like what it was is just this big old mess of stuff within there. And so there's a point where the caterpillar is like, Oh, great. Like what? (laughs) I'm not what I was. Nothing makes sense. And then things come back together in a whole new way. And we know what happens, out comes the butterfly. So that just came to mind when you're describing what it's like when people are in this terrible place of, oh my God, my trauma is going to kill me. Because I've been there where I'm like, this is going to take me down. You know, I can't do this. And then start working through it and things do start shifting. And there is that discomfort of, oh my gosh, what am I without identifying this way or feeling this way? And then there's a rebirth. There's the rebirth. Beautiful, thank goodness, the beautiful cycle of life where what will die will always come back again the rebirth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What a beautiful transition point. So Whitney, where do we find you? Let us know. What are we, what are you up to these days? You know, I know you have your podcast and you have your practice and what, um, what would you like listeners to know about how to find you and what you're up to? I would love them to check out my website, which is womenwaken.com. They can learn a little bit more about me and some of the, the work that I do as a, as a therapist and you know, spiritual guidance, recovery, and then they can see my podcast, 
Yeah. Um, about 30 episodes now, which is super exciting, um, all across the board, very similar to this format, just incredible discussions with amazing people. It's I, I, women awaken is more about the energy of the divine feminine. So it's definitely not exclusive in any way. It's just sort of this concept of, if we want to call the feminine, um, divine energy, it's about recognizing and allowing for the presence of balance and harmony and peace. And these things that we have really disconnected from and sort of, again, kind of swept aside, like, ah, yeah, we'll, we'll do that if we can, but it's really about bringing it back to no, you need the roots just as much as you need the growth. And right now we have so much growth, but look back in history and any society that relied solely on growth and technology and expansion will fall because if they don't build those roots, the roots are always what keep things healthy and safe and alive. So that's really been a calling for me for years now um, that just kind of came to me. You know, I say came to me, but it's part of that. I came here for this. And so in your life, you'll get this little nagging that's like, hey, there's something here that you're kind of, you're meant to kind of check in with and do. And that's kind of come to life with, with my practice and with Women Waken and my podcast. And I hope to expand it. So I would love for um, listeners to check me out there and check out my podcast and they can find my episode with you. Yes. Wonderful. Awesome. And we'll put all the links in the show notes. And, you know, as another thought on your, um, your podcast and your approach to your work and so many of the conversations that we've had over the years of looking at that, the, um, the balance of the divine feminine and the divine masculine, and it's not of one over the other, or one is better than the other. It's like both, you know, and that they all have a role and there's such like synergistic symbiosis, like both are necessary, the roots and the growth. Um, and you know, like an infinity symbol, kind of like have a a co-creation and interdependence upon one another. And I also love the approach that you've taken to this of um, kind of revealing the patriarchy, not necessarily like condemning it or, you know, like it is what it is, it's there, but like, let's see, let's see how it is relevant in our lives. And let's see how that informs our thinking and our approach to living and how that kicks us into the masculine overdrive, which is inherently imbalanced. And so bringing forth like that feminine, um, the feminine energy to create like that much needed balance and create some groundedness and some spaciousness and sustainability with that too. Absolutely. Thank you. And and that's that's what it is, is that, um, you know, and I'll just say that everyone has their own perspective and how they feel about certain things. And with the way our world is, everyone has a right to feel however they feel because think everyone's experienced such hardships and challenges because of the way that our society has kind of grown and established itself. There's a lot of suffering and struggles. So it's everyone's own thing. But I think I can say that my journey has led me to believe that anytime I tried to condemn something, it just was like um, a stake, but in my, in like my proverbial cloak that kept me from moving forward. Just like we right. said, it's when I try to condemn myself, I, I just meant I could never truly move forward because I was trying to push away that which is me. And I realized that I I can never be a full integrated highest self if I condemn. So I believe the same goes with everything in our world. We can just, we can, you know, connect with it and, you know, discuss and we can, everything can be mutable and changeable. Everything change. Life is change. So things can change just because something has kind of become overgrown and over powerful doesn't mean there can't be shifts. And I think that's my focus much more than any sort of condemning because that you can't, you condemn something. And that just means you're, you're, you know, set paving the way for it to come back even stronger. Right. And it still has that 
it, it still has kind of its hooks in our system, you know, the condemnation, we're giving it power by that resistance. And just like our own shadow, it's always attached to us. We can't run from our shadow. The only way that we can really get away from our shadow is completely go into the dark or to, you know, shine a very bright light, you know, which sometimes can be harsh. Sometimes, you know, it can be, it can be hard, that bright light. And yet that is ultimately what awareness is. It's, it's loving light, you know, being shown on that, which needs to be seen. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for joining. It is such an honor. You're such a sister to me and I appreciate your presence, your work in the world, your conversation and our connection. Yes. Ellie, thank you for having me. I appreciate you so much. You are such a wonderful, beautiful presence in this world. And I'm so lucky to be connected with you. So I look forward to more collaborations in this wild time that we are continue to proceed into. Yes. Thank you so much. Congratulations on your show. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye.